0: and rely on His promises every day. Father God, this is just such a topical message for this point in time. And, you know, as a church, we're studying this passage And it's no accident, Heavenly Father God. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would use this message to bring great confidence that you are the Lord of history, that you have, your plans are being fulfilled. They're being fulfilled globally, but they're also being fulfilled in each of our lives, Lord God. And I pray that as this message goes out, that confidence will build in your people today and we will go out with a fresh sense of your overarching control and purpose in the world and in our lives. Amen. Okay, so we're carrying on through Luke. We're in Luke 21 and um, I've got a really great set of scriptures for you today. I think you're really going to be blessed by this. I know I was very blessed when I was preparing it so um here we go we're in luke 21 it's it's just four verses 20 to 24 but they're really quite profound um so it starts off with this but when you see says says jesus jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation has come near Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, this event that Jesus is talking about Um, was fulfilled in about 38 years later. Jesus was speaking this in about AD 32 or 33. And he was prophesying an event that was going to happen um, in AD 70. And it's because of that horrific event in AD 70 that we're going to be looking at in a minute, that the Middle East is shaped as it is. So with the horrendous things that have happened in Israel in the last Week or just over a week now, you know this scripture is actually the reason why this has happened, and I hope to explain that as we go along. You see, this prophecy um, that Jesus is saying that the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed in AD seventy was a landmark change for the Jewish nation. Um, what happened was they were rebelling against the Roman rule. And um, in about AD 66. And so the emperor sent in a Roman army to put down the Jewish uprising. And the general was called General Titus and he besieged Jerusalem and what followed was utter destruction of the temple the temple mount and the focus of the Jewish religion that Steve was talking about with us last week you know this this area which was it was the place they looked at and you know it was the focus of their lives the temple totally destroyed and there was murder and deportation of all the Jewish inhabitants and they were dispersed as we know now into communities all across our planet and they've never been able to regroup as I'm going to show you later you know they've never been able to re-establish this this um focus of their religion and and even their, their city and land until last century which we will go on to talk about so it's 2,000 years that the nation of Israel were moved out of their place for 2,000 years. And so can you see how profound that is, that this scripture is relating to the dispute that is still over this small piece of land? Okay, well, that's my way of um, introduction, really. Um, But I really want to start to drill into it now. And when you look at this passage in Luke 21, you really can't ignore the parallel passages in Mark and Matthew. Matthew 24 has so much overlap between um, itself and Luke 21. Um, But There are many, many differences, and I think that's important if you're interested in end time stuff to appreciate this point, so I'm just going to make it very briefly here. But um, Lydia started us off with this in verse 6 when she preached a few weeks back, and um, you know the, um, in that verse in verse 6 Jesus said to the disciples when they were talking to him that no, they were looking at the temple they were looking at the beauty of the temple we've had lots of lovely slides in recent weeks showing all the gold how it reflected in the early morning sun I mean people were enthralled with this temple and then Jesus said these shocking words that not one stone was going to be left upon another that all were going to be cast down And in the two accounts in Matthew and Luke, the disciples are recorded as giving Jesus two questions. And those two questions take us on two different routes um, in those two Gospels. In Matthew, the disciples said to him privately, when are these things going to happen? What's the sign of your coming? What's the sign of the end of the age? But in Luke, the disciples are recorded as saying... And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Can you see it's two completely different questions? And Jesus responds within the two um, Gospels completely differently. To the end time question, Jesus says, you've got to look for the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel. It's going to be standing in the holy place. And he adds, very pointedly, let the reader understand. In other words... This is something in the future. This is not for his immediate audience. Someone is going to need to read this and understand it at a later date. But in Luke, it's a completely different answer to the question, what is going to be the sign? Um, It was a different question, but it's a completely different answer. Jesus says... What's the sign of this about to happen? When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Jesus was absolutely, um, you know, he was, ups- he was seeing into the future. He was seeing the devastation that was going to come upon This holy city, his holy city, and he wanted everybody to get out. He wanted to warn all the Jews in Jerusalem um, to just flee. So um, Jesus was trying to prevent huge amounts of bloodshed. So let's look at the prophecy in detail. Jesus is saying, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation is drawing near. Let those that are in Judea flee to the mountains, in the city depart, don't go back into the city. These are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. This is the detail of the prophecy. Jesus is saying, if you're in the city, get out. Don't go back into the city. If you're in the surrounding area of Judea, flee into the hills. He's saying, this is going to be such a terrible thing that is going to happen. And this prophecy that he was talking to his disciples was immediately adopted by them. And it must have been passed down through all the Christians that followed the the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because um, a historian Eusebius writes for us, um, a Christian who saw it, historian, that all the Christians fled in AD 70. When they saw the Roman army and Titus surrounding the, the city of Jerusalem, they remembered Jesus's words and they fled and they went over the river Jordan to a place called Pella that is up near the Sea of Galilee in the eastern foothills and largely they escaped the massacre there aren't many recorded deaths amongst the Christian community. But sadly, the Jewish people, they, they just misread. They misread when Jesus came, and then they misread it again. They thought their Messiah was going to come and rescue them. They thought this was the sign. This was the end times. For them, they thought he was going to come. And so they stayed in the city, expecting supernatural deliverance and their Redeemer to come. And sadly, history records that 1.1 million were murdered and 97,000 were taken away captive. It was one of the worst calamities ever to befall the Jewish nation. History records that there was not one Jew left alive in Jerusalem. And Jesus describes it as the day of vengeance. You see, he'd already seen this happening. In, in, in Luke 19, on the Mount of Olives. As he was approaching Jerusalem, he was riding in on a donkey and all the people were thronging him and saying, Hosanna to the King of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were playing; they were laying down the palm trees. But even in the midst of all that, Jesus knew that that was not how this week was going to end. Palm Sunday at the start of the week, crucifixion at the end of the week. He knew they were going to um, turn him and not believe that he was their Messiah. In fact, the scripture says that, um, if we have a look at it in Luke 19, that he wept over the city, saying, would that even you had known the day of this, the things that were made for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. The days are going to come and he's doing the same prophecy when your enemies are going to set up a barricade round about you, surround you and hem you in on every side, tear down the ground for you and your children within you and not leave one stone upon another. The same prophecy again, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the reason this dramatic event happened. This is the sad reason because the Jews did not recognize that God himself had sent his son down on the earth to save us from our sins, to die in our place on the cross on our behalf. They missed it and the wrath of God remained upon them and this awful vengeance came forth. And I felt God tell me to pause at this point and to just make the the point to all of us here today that we all have to make that decision about Jesus. If you're listening to me online this morning and you haven't yet decided whether Jesus is a historical figure even, or what, 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 what was he all about, then my advice to you is to look at Jesus. Because it said, It says in the Bible that he came down on earth to take your sin. He came to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. What are you putting your faith in? for your afterlife. The Jews were caught up in their religious system of doing good works. And there's lots of doings of good works in our world today, but none of these good works are good enough works. I've said this many times from this pulpit. You may have a longer ladder than me, but your ladder won't reach heaven any more than mine will. We fall short of the glory of God. We we were made in his image, as Mark was saying earlier in the Garden of Eden, but then we were marred and sin came in and selfishness and um, preoccupation with ourselves and we need a savior every one of us and it says that if we do not adopt Jesus then the same wrath that remains on the Jewish people that same wrath is going to come on us at the end of our lives we've all got to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and if you've put your trust in Jesus the wrath of God went on him in your place but if you do not accept Jesus the awful horror is that that wrath remains on you in John's gospel it says in verse 3 chapter 3 verse 36 he who believes in the son has life So if you're listening to me today and you've put your trust in Jesus, that you believe in him, you have life, but he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life and the wrath of God abides on him and there will be a day of reckoning. So I appeal to you today, be reconciled to God, look at the life of Jesus and find out how much he loves you and what he has done for you. Now, why did, coming back to our, our um, exposition of the word today, why did the, the people turn on Jesus? Why did they change from welcoming as their saviour, uh, as the Messiah on the donkey as he came into Jerusalem at the start of the week, and then at the end of the week, they're, wanting, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. Well, one of the main reasons is that Jewish leaders had already made up their mind that he was not the Messiah. These are the leaders of the nation, the the teachers of Israel, the ones the people looked up to. And in fact, Dave had the privilege to talk to a Jew um, recently this year, a, a devout Jew. And he explained to David that the Jewish people really do look to the rabbi for their spiritual guidance they're not as independent as we are as Christians where we look at the bible and we can perhaps read stuff and we can make up our we can see our doctrine aligned with the word of God the Jewish people do rely very much on their rabbis and these rabbis let the people down Jesus called them blind leaders of the blind and as Christians, we can glean some, some, some wealth from this, can't we? There's a lesson for us not to blindly follow our favourite preacher. You know, God's given us preachers and teachers um, and, and for our blessing, and they are a blessing to us, but every one of us has blind spots. And I think God wanted to just underline to all of us today that we need to be a bit like the Bereans, In Acts 17, they're commended for the fact that Paul was preaching some pretty strange stuff. And um, they were checking it out daily. You know, they were listening to him and then going back and reading their Bibles um, and, and checking out what he was saying. And, you know, we need to do that too. We need to listen to a sermon and not just take it on wholesale. We need to remember the three C's that Dave's told us about. Context. Have these teachers picked this passage out of its context? Or have they selected a part of it to make their point? But really, that's not the flavor of what the message is. Comparison, are there other passages that support this doctrine that these people are are mentioning? Because scripture says that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every important thing should be established. So there should be more evidence in the Bible for a particular Um, Doctrine and then covenant, as we said before, the old covenant is very different to the new covenant. The blessings and the curses that came and the blood sacrifices have all been done away with in Christ. He fulfilled the law perfectly for us, He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 10 tells us that God doesn't even remember our sins anymore. As Vicki was saying, reset. There's constant reset for us because of the cross. Someone, another image that I've heard recently is like we're constantly standing under a waterfall, we're constantly being washed. The amazing grace of God has come on us that the old covenant didn't provide. You know, they had to, they had to, they had a, must have had a constant sense of guilt, you know, and waiting for that annual one sacrifice that they could make to atone for their sins for that year. Turn the page, it's a new year. Nothing for the minute, five minutes later, oh no, I've blown it already. You know, we don't have that. We're constantly sitting under the flow of the blood of Jesus, of his cleansing. Excuse me a minute. Thank you. Okay, so the, the, um, the, the rabbis didn't lead the people in the right way. But fortunately, as New Testament believers, we can, we've got the Holy Spirit. We can, we can ask God to help us with, with doctrine and things and, and hopefully keep on the truth. Now, Jesus, coming back to our passage, Jesus mentions that this destruction, this vengeance will happen so that all things are fulfilled. And this is one of the important themes, I think, that God wants to get out to us today. It's come through various threads in the service already. And it's the idea that God is in control of all of this. All of this madness that we see in the world today. All of the madness in our own lives where things don't seem to be working together and working out in certain ways. God is in control. And he, um, Jesus said that um, the, the destruction of Jerusalem is in fulfilment. All things will be fulfilled. All the things that God ordains that wants to happen are going to happen um, according to his plan. And I got a real encouragement for anybody here today. Um, if if you're not sure that the Bible is true. And I want you to appreciate today that the prophecy that Jesus did in AD 32-ish, fulfilled in AD 70, is just one of millions, well not millions, but many, many prophecies in the Bible. And there's another fantastic one, which I want to briefly visit this morning, and it's in the book of Daniel. And it was written 600 years before the temple, before AD 70, before this destruction of the temple. And I don't know if you remember Daniel, but he's in exile in Babylon, and he was a very godly man, and he was always praying um, about the nation of of Israel and that they would be restored and that. And in one of these prayer times, the angel Gabriel appears to him. How cool is that? And he says to Daniel, you know, you're really loved by God, you know, and I've got a special message for you here this morning. That's the Sue Jones translation. And um, he he says, and there's this little prophecy here. I just want you to look at it for a minute because it's a real blessing. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression there's six things finish the transgression make an end of sin bring in reconciliation for iniquity bring in everlasting righteousness seal up the vision and prophecy add and to anoint the most holy so there's six things that were going to happen um, in this 70 weeks and i'm going to be talking about that in a minute Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 of the 70 are going to be fulfilled in this period. And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So there we have it. 600 years before it happened, Daniel in, in exile prophesied that uh, there was going to come a time when um, the sanctuary would obviously be restored, but then it would be destroyed again. And if you were more interested in looking in detail at this prophecy, I used some um, useful notes from this guy here I've got on the screen, David Gusick, and he's got a whole commentary of the Bible that's actually worth looking at if you're studying a passage. But I just want to unpack the details of this and how it's actually you know, being, fulfilled, being fulfilled before our very eyes. You see, the 70 weeks, it's not not a week of days. It's a week of years. The actual word there means sevens. So it's 70 weeks of sevens, okay? So in fact, sorry, it's, it's 70 weeks of seven years. It's 70 times seven years. So it comes out that there are 490 years that this prophecy is actually talking about here, 70 times 7, 490. And in this 490 years, if we go through these six things, we can see that some of them have been fulfilled. To make an end of sins. Well, um, Hebrews 10 says that God's remembering our sins no more. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Well, that's what Jesus did on the cross. To bring in everlasting righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. To seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Well, perhaps that's not quite fulfilled yet. I don't think all prophecies have been fulfilled quite yet. But the time frame of this prophecy um, starts with the rebuilding... um, Sorry, it's, it's here. Sorry, in verse 25... The the prophecy starts when the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, not the temple, Jerusalem. And that command happened in Xerxes' reign in 458 BC. And if you follow David Gusak's thinking, and I'm not going to do it here this morning, but you can see that actually the number of years, the 69 sevens, Uh, that have happened, the 483 years, have actually been fulfilled in that time period. Quite miraculously, you end up at the Passover week in AD 32, I think he makes it, when Jesus would have gone to the cross and came into Jerusalem on the donkey. So Daniel prophesied all of that, and it all works out with the 483 years, because it's only... Um, 69 of the 70 weeks, isn't it? There's another week to come, which is um, probably something Dave might talk about next week. Um, yeah, so Daniel saw this 600 years before it happened. And the Bible's full of these prophecies. There's 350, over 350 that Jesus fulfilled prophecies about the Messiah, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, he'd be born of a virgin, he'd be of the tribe of Judah, he'd be a descendant of David he'd be crucified. Psalm 22, the imagery there is of crucifixion, and that was a method of torturous death that they hadn't been invented yet. Not a bone of his body would be broken. He would be betrayed by a friend. He would be buried with the rich and the wicked in his death. That's just some of the 350 prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled completely. We can trust the word of God. We can trust our God is in control of all these things. And I just want to say before I move on from prophecy that if God's given you a prophecy for yourself or for your children or your ministry or something, God's time frame's not quite ours. <laughs> you know, Jesus spoke this prophecy and it was 40 years before it happened. Daniel spoke the prophecy, it was 600 years before it happened. Well, it, was, it happened during the 600 years. And, you know, Abraham was promised a son and it took 25 years before it happened. So the timescale with God is um, perhaps not quite always ours. But don't give up. Keep trusting God because, as we've seen, God does work out his purposes in the world and in our lives. He is faithful. This isn't quite the chaos that it seems. Okay, coming back to our scripture today the second half. Alas for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days. There's going to be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. And they're going to fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And all of this has come to pass. As I said, at AD 70, the Jews were dispersed. There wasn't one Jew left in Jerusalem. They went to all the nations. They lost their nation land. Oh, excuse me, I need another drink. It gets very dry when you're preaching up here. Thank you. I've got a little chart here of what happened to the um, control of Jerusalem Uh, And I think you can see, it's a bit detailed, but just look at the colours. Basically, the Jewish colour is blue. And it doesn't happen till the middle of last century. Everything else is, somebody else was ruling Jerusalem. Jerusalem was trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. And arguably still is. We're going to look at that. The nation of Israel was established in 1948... But the Jews still didn't have control of all of it. They didn't have control of the Temple Mount. They didn't have control of the old part of Jerusalem. And it wasn't until the Six-Day War in 1967 that they had control of the Temple Mount. And arguably, they could have fulfilled this prophecy that the Gentiles could have been routed out of Jerusalem for once and for all, and the Jews re-established there. But the most strange bizarre thing happened. Um, The Sorry, I forgot the name of the guy. Um, I've had him written down somewhere. Oh, yes. Moshe Dayan. He was the minister, um, the defence minister. And he feared that by taking over where the big Al-Ala mosque is, that he would start a bigger war. And he said, no, 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 we don't want to take the Temple Mount. Take the, they put the flag up, the, you know, the Jewish flag. And he said, no, we're not here to desecrate someone else's, someone else's sacred ground. I don't think he was really a religious Jew himself, so he didn't understand how important it was to the religious Jews, this piece of ground. And he he made them take down the flag, and they relinquished, they just gained back the very thing they wanted, the the temple mount, they could rebuild their temple. And then he told them to take it back. And they relinquished control in that day. And I just think that is so bizarre, it's got to be God, (laughs) because the timing of the Gentiles wasn't finished the Gentiles still trample down parts of Jerusalem. The Temple Mount is not under the control of the Jews. Um, it's under the control of Jordan and an Islamic council. So we're still in the time of the Gentiles. This prophecy of Jesus that we've been reading about this morning is almost fulfilled but not quite fulfilled. And Dave's going to take us on next week with where we go next in the next part of Luke. Luke. But I just wanted to remind us, is the bookmark to this sermon really. Where did all this start? This dispute over the land that we still see happening right in front of our eyes today. And we have to go back to the first book of the Bible when God and Abraham had many chats. And in Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you and your offspring, your descendants after you, the land that you're living in, the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said in a later place, he was going to give this possession through Isaac. And he gave details in Genesis 15 of the actual scope of the land. (coughs) And it's because of this prophecy In AD 70, that the Jews were routed out of this land and it's still in dispute now. This small wedge of land is still being fought over by Abraham's offspring. I want to end this sermon by suggesting that we all pray for the peace of Jerusalem.